their lamps. They are cast out into the weeping and gnashing of teeth and the darkness. Okay, uh, And now then the next story is about the talents. And again, the talents is uh, the master figuratively goes away for a long time and then he comes back to settle accounts. Right. And there are some people who do well with that settling of accounts, and there are some people who don't do, or there's one person who doesn't do so well with that settling of accounts, and he too is cast out into the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and the outer darkness, as he says. And then the next story is really about the same thing, right? Uh, it's about the end of time. The Son of Man will come to judge the nations, and at the end of time, he will separate out the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. And again, there's this criteria uh, where in the first story it was watchfulness, right? You needed to watch. You, you can't run out of oil. You got to watch for the king. The second, the second, or the bridegroom. The second story is about uh, you have to uh, be attentive. You have to keep working. You have to. You can't just bury your uh, money in the ground and forget about your life with God, or else you'll also get cast out. And the third story is a story that you all ought to know pretty well because I pretty much preach it every single Sunday. Uh, and that is that at the end. There will be the separating out of the generous from the not generous, the servants from the non-servants, uh, those who cared for the least of these and those who did not. And they, too, will be cast out into darkness and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. In fact, in that one, he explicitly says into eternal punishment. And so we have this this three stories that draw out of Jesus is now talking about the end. He's talking about. Uh, this moment where where there will be judgment, and there's been a lot of talk about that in Scripture. Uh, it's starting in the very uh, as as early as in Genesis, God is uh, putting in the hearts of His people the knowledge that there will come a day. There will come a day on the other side of history, perhaps, but there will come a day when the sheep and the goats are separated, <clears throat> and that there will be eternal consequences for that. Uh, the good eternal consequence is life uh, in the arms of the king, and the bad eternal consequence is the punishment and the weeping of gnashing and gnashing of teeth. So uh, what I want to do is I want to talk specifically about, because I, all, I, I go back to the theme of uh, caring for the least of these quite often, I'm only going to talk about that story just briefly but I want to mostly talk about the parable of the talents today. And it seems to me that the crux of the parable of the talents is the theme of attention. Okay, The theme of attention. I'll, I'll explain that more thoroughly in a minute. But I want you to think about attention. Uh, there are many things in life that require a lot of attention. There are many things in life that require a lot of attention. One of the ones that drives me nuts is shaving. Right? My face requires a lot of attention. You may think that I wear a beard because I like to have a beard. I wear a beard because I'm too lazy to give my beard daily attention to shave it off. <laughs> right? So I trim my beard once a month, and then it gets to this point where I can't handle it again, and I trim it all off again. And so I only have to pay attention to my beard one time a month, and that makes me very happy. <laughs> makes me very happy to get rid of that, that constant attention. I don't know uh, if some of you uh, men in this room, but as a young boy, like my dad actually got me like a toy shaving kit, you know, like a pretend, pretend razor that didn't have any blades. It was just this plastic thing. And I would shave like while he was shaving, I would shave too. And then, uh, and then as soon as I got old enough to shave, like that lasted three weeks maybe of like 
this is awful. Why did I want to do this? Anyway, um, there are many other things in life that require a good bit of attention, uh, perhaps none more so than being a parent. Uh, one of the things that I uh, reflect when I reflect back on Abby and I sabbatical, so every afternoon when I was on sabbatical, I would uh, take care of our kids from like 1 o'clock to maybe 4.30, something like that, and uh, so that Abby could work on our photography business. And I will tell you what, um, that was hard. <laughs> okay, I have, uh, I have moved a pile of rocks, okay? I've moved a pile of rocks in Jamaica that was like this wide and this high with two three-gallon buckets, okay, and carried it up a mountain. To, to build, to use it for concrete, to build the floor for a, uh, um, build a floor for an outhouse, out of which I also helped in digging an eight foot peat, an eight foot, four deep, four foot wide pit, okay, out of Jamaican clay. So I know what hard work is. I've done a lot of hard work, and I will tell you, without any hint of exaggeration, staying home with my children was the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Okay, so uh, because the reason it's so hard, you you can't take your eyes off of them, right? It's constant attention, especially with my two children, <laughs> and both the way that they view the world as a playground, uh, as something to jump off of, uh, as something to destroy. My favorite, my boys' absolute favorite thing is to destroy something. This week we got a box in the mail, uh, for, and it had uh, Elliot's birthdays this, this month, and so it had a present in the box for, for Elliot's birthday. And so we took, the, took that out, and the box is just laying there uh, on, the, on the kitchen, on the table, waiting to be recycled. And uh, you know I'm like cooking dinner, and Abby's doing something else, and all of a sudden I realize that that box is in like 150 pieces. And my boys have the biggest smile on their face. Because I'm telling you, and it's great because that box doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter at all. Often it's something that matters. <laughs> so, so there's this enormous amount of attention. I mean, there's just very few things in life that require the same kind of attention as keeping someone safe that does not have a developed brain, right? There's an enormous amount of attention. And so uh, another thing that needs attention is uh, uh, pets and fish. I love this story from my, uh, my father-in-law, Abby's dad. So Abby, uh, when Abby was in high school, he had a, uh, a beta, a blue beta fish that was at their, in their office that uh, they took care of. And it was jo Abby's job to like take care of it uh, during the week. And so she would take care of it. And uh, one, one month or one, one weekend, because you think, you like, you think it's a fish you put something into it like once, you know, once in a while and it eats whatever you put in there and that's that's the job. Maybe you got to clean it every once in a while. Not a, a lot of attention. However, in California, in the Central Valley, when it gets up to 112 degrees in the summer, uh, you have to be careful about where you place the bowl of the fish. Right. So they put the bowl, uh, the fish bowl was in the window for one of these weekends when it got up to 112 degrees. And when they came back on Monday, there was no fish in the bowl. There was no sign of the fish in the bowl, right? Keeping the fish alive required a little bit of attention at that particular moment, on that particular weekend. Somebody had to cue in and say, maybe we should move this guy for his health and safety. Unfortunately, didn't. I mean, there wasn't any, there was no sign, just completely gone. 
you know, you got that. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure we could ask Todd exactly what the technical terms are for what happened to the light when it went in there. But it got hot in that bowl, <laughs> right? The sunlight directly going into that bowl was not good for that fish. Anyway, all that being uh, the point being, it there are a lot of things in life that require a lot of attention. And sometimes I think the point of the parable of the talents, or one of the points of the parable of the talents, is that the life of faith also requires a great deal of attention. The life of faith in Christ, that having that, uh, when Christ, when you put your faith in him, after that point, the life that you now are going to live with him requires attention. And everything that you expect and hope will grow out of that life will come from putting your attention on to caring for the details and the, uh, um, the welfare of that relationship with Christ. And so uh, out of, a couple of points out of here where I want to make this, this clear is uh, these are a couple of verses from Parable of the Talents. Then one, one who had, the one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them. Okay? Uh, in other words, he went and invested and tried to make a return. Now, investment at that point in time was uh, a risky business because I don't know if you know this, but ledgers would have been very easy to fudge uh, compared to today. Uh, and so there was a lot of fraud in that world. And so he, it take, if you're going to make this kind of return on your investment, it cause, creates uh, – if you're going to make a big turn, return on your investment, you've got to really pay attention to what you're doing. You've got to really key into the process. You really have to work at making sure that the uh, – that the money was going to be properly cared for and that the money was going to be properly handled. Uh, and so the, the, this slave, the one who had the five, had to really give an enormous amount of attention to this process and what he was doing with the talents. Now, a talent was actually a, a lot of money. Uh, so you may have heard of a denarius. Okay, a denarius was uh, considered a day's worth of, of money, right? It was enough to supply for all of your day, daily wage. So a talent, I didn't write it down, so I forget. It's either a talent is either worth three hundred denarii uh, or six hundred. I think it's three hundred, but you, maybe somebody can Google it and figure it out. But uh, so it was a lot. It was like three. It was almost a whole year's worth of wages. Uh, no matter which of that end it's on, it's it, at least about a year worth of money, a whole salary. Okay, so he gives him five times that. Gives him five times. Imagine if somebody said to you, I'm going to give you five times your yearly salary to take care of while I go off. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. Right? So um, a talent is a lot of money, and it also would have been required if you're, going to re if you're going to invest that kind of money in that day and age. That much money is going to require an enormous amount of attention, which is part of the point that I want to make. So uh, the other thing that I want to point out about this little passage is that then it's, it makes the point to say that it's after a long time that the master returns, right? So it's not, it begins with, and he went off at once, right? But he, he didn't just go off at once, make a, he doubled his investment, and then he took all the money and was like, oh, great, now I don't need to do anything. No, there's this long period of time. There's this long period of time. And so the attention is a consistent Daily attention. Now what happens 
with uh, the the one who the slave who buries the the money in the ground. When you bury it in the ground, guess what you get to do? Forget about it, right? You just walk off. You don't have to give it your attention at all. You don't have to care for it. You don't have to. You don't have to think about it as long as you as long as you remember where it was, right? You bury it in a field. I know where this spot is in the field. And so he he uh, he gives up his responsibility for it. Is another way to talk about it. There's no responsibility now. It's it's in the ground. I've kept I've taken it safe. And so the point is not um, uh, uh, the point is not that you should not. Um, I'm sorry. I just my mind just got really frazzled because I. Anyway, the point is not that you should not take risks with what God has given you. The point is not that you should uh, that it, that you shouldn't be safe with what God has given you. The point is that you can't take all your eyes off of your relationship with God. You can't give up your responsibility. You can't give up your side of the bargain of discipleship. You have a part to play. In your salvation, as Paul says, we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? And so that we we carry uh, we carry Christ within us, so that there can be a daily uh, attention to Him and to what He's calling us to do, so that the return on investment is uh, is a consistent pursuit, a daily pursuit until the day comes. In the end, this is a theme that uh, is throughout Scripture. This idea that, for whatever reason, we we have to work, we have to have this discipline, we have to have this approach where we daily and consistently give our attention to Christ and who He is and what He's doing in our life. Uh, in the in the book of Revelation, in the the seven letters that he give that uh, Jesus writes to the seven churches in Asia Minor, the one of the things that he says over and over and over again is is uh, you know blessed is the person who struggles and overcomes. Blessed is the person who overcomes, has this struggle, who has faces this adversity, and that's the same kind of theme. That we will we will take this seriously. We will take. Uh, discipleship and attentiveness to who Christ is seriously. And I think that another part of this point is that that attentiveness leads to fruit. In Matthew in particular, Jesus talks about fruit and the producing fruit, I think, more than any of the other Gospels. This idea that that God doesn't just save us, but God desires us to produce this fruit, this fruit of the kingdom. Um. I, I could pick any kind of fruit, I suppose, to give you an example, but I had like three different stories come up in this week in my conversations and reading and thought about forgiveness. And so I want to talk to you about how attentiveness to our relationship to God can lead to fruit such as forgiveness. Uh, the first story I read uh, was in the newspaper this week. It was a story about a guy who lives in northeast Portland uh, he's an African American man who uh, was walking home from church a couple months ago, and he was walking home from church the same walk he walks every every Sunday from church. And there's this man 
uh, on a porch who had a pit bull and he came down to the sidewalk and he uh, said to the man, you're not in the right neighborhood and then called him the N-word uh, repeatedly. And then he tried to get his dog to attack the man. Okay, And so he takes off running and thankfully the dog was not actually trained as an attack dog. So he takes off running and, and holes up in a convenience store. Uh, to protect himself and the owner of the convenience store locks the convenience store and then the guy that had done the intimidating uh, had the audacity to just hang out there and continue to yell through the glass at the guy in the convenience store and of course the police show up and arrest the guy well at the arraignment uh, the <clears throat> the african-american man came uh, and stood and because at a lot of a lot of times when you have an arraignment they'll let victims come and speak and he and he said, he gave a little speech, and it was very, very short, and it essentially said, I want you to know because of what Jesus does in my life and who Jesus is in my life, I forgive you. Now I imagine that that guy didn't just wake up uh, the day of the arraignment and was like, I think I'll forgive him today. <laughs> right? I imagine that that process to get to the point where he could then have the fruit of compassion, the fruit of forgiveness, the fruit of looking his accuser in the eye or looking at his, uh, his um, abuser in the eye. I imagine that that took a lot of prayer. I imagine that that meant that he needed to at once go out and struggle and wrestle with God and work on letting the spirit produce forgiveness within his heart. Letting the Spirit produce a harvest of forgiveness, a reaping of the investment of return, a profit of forgiveness within the man's heart. Something really simpler, similar uh, just so happened. I was talking to my friend this week who had a really similar thing happen. He had two teenagers. He lives in Akron, Ohio, and he had two teenagers steal his car uh, a couple years ago. And he was, he was recounting this story for me. And, uh, and he at first was furious with these teenagers. At first he was absolutely furious with these teenagers because he was in a, a very tough financial place uh, at that particular, particular time in his life. And the losing of his car meant he lost a lot of money because it took him like three or four days to get another car and he had to not go to work for those three or four days and he didn't get paid if he didn't go to work and his family was just, just scraping by. And so he was just furious to begin with that this had happened to him. But he began to, uh, to, to go out and to use what he had in his relationship with God and to pray and to have conversations with those around him, his brothers and sisters. And he began to feel his heart change towards these young men. And so that the first thing that he did was he wrote them a letter. The second thing that he did was he showed up at their, at their trial and sentencing because they pled guilty. And so he was there for his sent, their sentencing. And he was able to read some scripture to them. Uh, and he was able to say, uh, one, I would very much like to visit with you after you uh, once you're in, in, uh, uh, in the juvenile detention. Uh, I'd love to, to come and make your acquaintance. I am going to be praying for you, and I forgive you. I mean, he went way over the top. He had a double return on investment, right? Great, tremendous production of fruit. And so he did. He, he got the opportunity to actually go 
and meet with these young men who uh, had stolen his car because their life was, uh, was a mess. And he was able to bring some salt and light into their world. Now, the last, the last story of, of forgiveness that I want to I say is uh, about St. Patrick because this Saturday, I think, is St. Patrick's Day. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I always like to talk about St. Patrick's at this time of year because uh, the holiday is not about beer. <laughs> it's about it's about St. Patrick and his story. And so his story is also a story of tremendous attentiveness upon God and upon Christ. And that attentiveness on his relationship with Christ produces uh, fruit unlike the world has seen probably before or since. OK, so. Uh, his story is that he was a young man, a teenager growing up in Britain, and Britain was a very loosely civilized sort of place. It was, it was not at all what you would think of as like medieval Britain or anything like that. This is probably the year 380, somewhere around there. And uh, the Irish routinely would, uh, they would, their soldiers would get onto boats and they would go into uh, Britain and they would, they would uh, ransack um, villages that were on the coast. And in the process of ransacking, they would also take slaves with them. So Patrick was one of those slaves that was taken from Britain, and he was taken to, uh, to Ireland, and he was taken to be a shepherd boy as a slave. And what they would do to make sure that he didn't run away is they would strip him naked and not give him anything to take care of himself. So they, he had to wait. He had to take care of the sheep and wait for them to come and bring him supplies. And so that was the plan they didn't, they didn't have chains or fences or anything. They just made it so that it, it would be a really bad idea for him to run away. And so every day, while he was naked in the wilderness, shepherding someone else's sheep and had been stolen as a teenager from his family, every day he'd pray. Every day he would work on investing. Every day he would make an investment in his relationship with God. He turned his attention so the temp I think the temptation in that sort of situation is to turn your attention to your bad luck, to turn your attention to the way you've been oppressed, to turn your attention to the way you've been broken, to turn your attention to anger towards your abusers or anger towards those who had taken you. Instead, he turned his attention to Christ and to praying over and over and over and over again. And one day he, he heard a voice say, get up and follow the sound of the waves. And he was a long way from the waves. He was a long way from the sea. But he did, in some miraculous fashion, he heard the sound of the waves. And so he followed them, and he ran. And he gets to uh, the shore in the middle of nowhere, and there just happens to be a, a ship that had run aground, and the, the sailors were, were working on digging it out and making sure that it, it got back out to sea. And he barters with those, uh, those sailors to get onto their, onto their boat, and they're very reluctant to do so. But they, he, they do let him get on their boat. And eventually, through a long series of circumstances and events, Patrick ends up back in his village in Britain. Some of his family had been killed in the raid. Okay? So he comes back to a home that is desolate. Again, the temptation may have been to, to wallow in self-pity when he gets back there, to just kind of bury his attentiveness to God and say, you know what? I'm really angry. You know what? I want to take revenge on those stupid Irish people. You know what? I want to make sure that we, uh, I don't know, I'm going to pour my whole life into protecting us from the Irish. I don't know what else he could, he, all sorts of things he could turn his attention to that flow out of the idea that I'm a victim. Instead, what he does is he joins the priesthood 
And in the process of becoming a priest, which is a rigorous process, he's in the process at that time there was a lot of study and a lot of prayer and a lot of accountability and uh, not just wrestling with God, but wrestling with the other young men around you who are becoming priests. And this, this process of working on your relationship, turning your whole attention. I mean, that was their goal, was that the young men in this kind of program, that their whole attention would be turned to God. In that process, Patrick has a, uh, a dream. And in that dream, a man uh, called uh, Victoricus comes to him and gives him a bundle of letters. And, uh, and this is what Patrick wrote about that. And I read the opening words of the letter, which were uh, the voice of the Irish. Okay, so in other words, in his dream, these letters represent the voice of the Irish people. And as I read the beginning of the letter, I thought that at the same moment I heard their voice, and thus did they cry out as with one mouth, we asked thee, boy, come and walk among us once more. And I was quite broken in heart and could read no further, and so I woke up. I believe that the attentiveness that Patrick had given to Christ, in over not just in the fields when he was a slave, but also uh, there are stories of him uh, on his sail to back to Ireland and then in, uh, I mean, back to Britain and then in Britain where he is becoming a priest. I think that out of the fiery furnace of a relationship that is t- the the attention is turned up to 100%. That out of that comes tremendous compassion. Out of that comes tremendous capacity for forgiveness. Because Patrick didn't say, you know what, Lord, that's a really bad idea. I don't want to go back to the people who enslaved me. No, he hears their voice and is broken in his heart. He hears their voice and is broken in his heart, and he heads back to Ireland. And the story goes, and it's a wonderful story, but I, I won't tell you this this time because we're running short on time, I guess. But uh, all of the, the whole island, by the time he's dead, the whole island has become Christian. The whole island, everybody that lives there. I'm sure there are individuals that weren't Christians at the time, you know. But the whole island. So if... <laughs> If that's not a double increase, if that's not taking your talents and uh, going from five to ten, I don't know what it is. And so out of this, out of this attentiveness comes tremendous work. Billy actually pointed this out to me. Uh, You probably don't even remember. But five years ago or so, uh, he pointed out to me that the parable of the talents comes before the parable of the sheep and the goats, and they're right next to each other. And he said, you know, what if... What if the, the production of the talents is the caring for the stranger and the prisoner and the sick and the hungry and the naked? What if that's what it looks like to get an increase in what you've invested? So thank you for that. And, uh, and I thought, wow, that's a really good idea. Yeah, you can't get to, math, to, to the sheep and the goats. You can't get to being a sheep without that attentiveness. You can't get to forgiveness, I think. Without that attentiveness, we can't. There are lots of places we can't get to when we bury our attentiveness to God and our relationship with Him. When we bury it in the ground, I say that I know that if I preached this sermon ten years ago and to myself, I would sit there where you're sitting and I would be filled with guilt, <laughs> right? Because oh, I don't, I don't pay attention enough to God. 
It's that same kind of guilt and fear is what made the guy bury it in the ground, right? He was like, I'm terrified of you, so I buried it in the ground. Don't walk away in terror. Don't walk away in, in guilt and shame. Walk away knowing that God longs to have that kind of attention with you. And if you will give him that kind of attention, tremendous things will happen. Tremendous things will happen in your life. It's all good. When we give that attention to our, our Father, remember, most of a lot of this book has also been about reshaping who, how we see God as Father, as a good Father. When you ask for a loaf of bread, doesn't give you a stone. So don't go in that shame. Don't go in that guilt. Maybe you have been really struggling. Maybe you do feel, I, don't have, I have not been giving God my attention. Maybe that is where you are. God loves you. He wants that attention because he loves you. Because he longs to do this kind of work in each and every one of us. So don't go in guilt. Let the Spirit spark a fire for your attention and your attentiveness to your relationship with God. Let's pray. God, you are so good. I think of uh, so many issues in my own life where I have buried it in the ground, not want to think about it. And when I compare the result uh, of doing that versus the times where it's been really hard, but I have brought it to you and have brought it to my brothers and sisters for conversation and have had this time of attentiveness and wrestling, there's just no comparison. And so I thank you for that. I thank you that you are such a good and gracious and kind and wonderful master that when we do give you our attention, we do give attention to that mission that you've given us. When we do give attention to the commands and teachings that you have through our relationship with you, when we do that, you are so faithful to do good and gracious and wonderful things in our life. And so I do pray, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show each and every one of us how we might give you more of our attention. How we might give more of a Christ-shaped attention to the different struggles and the different things and the different things we're carrying around in our heart, the different burdens that we, we have, God. We just pray for your Spirit to work and to produce fruit out of our attentiveness to you. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, that we pray. Amen.